Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as freelance sports and other stuff writer. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's addition to the Humans of Twitter list, Erin Riley. Thank you so much for having me. Erin, it is overdue and I really appreciate your time. Let's start, please, uh, by me asking in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, I usually just introduce myself as a writer and mm-hmm. that uh, tends to um, start conversations. I haven't been writing full time for very long um, mm-hmm. and so that I think... Um, I might have to change that because sometimes I just don't want to have that conversation again because it goes straight to what kind of writing do you do? Yes. Um, and sometimes that's great, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, I would really like to talk about something else. <laughs> Is writing what you prepared yourself for out of high school? Uh, not really. I Well, sort of. I always wanted to work in sport um, mm-hmm. and not so much as a sports writer, more in the communications side of a sports team. And I mm-hmm. had done that within 18 months out of uni. Um, I got that job and found it very unsatisfying. So I guess most of my 20s were spent trying to figure out what I was going to do instead and doing all sorts of other bits and pieces, including a master's in US politics. And I worked, As you do. <laughs> I worked in agriculture. I worked in finance. Um, and then sort of come, have come full circle now and am writing full-time about sport again, but in a very different sort of context and um, I think with very different values perhaps than I had then. Mm-hmm. So I'm far more focused on the social stuff, a lot less of a um, metaphorical cheerleader and... But at the same time, I get to do some really cool stuff. Like I'm working with this really great new kids newspaper called Crinkling News mm-hmm. um, that launched in April, I think, late April. And I'm covering sport for them. Um, so a lot of what I'm doing at the moment is interviewing young up-and-coming athletes from a whole right. bunch of different sports. And it's so much fun and they're so interesting to speak to. And uh, I'm just, I really, really love that, that part of my job now. I can understand that. It's so cool. Like I consider myself so lucky to be able to do that. Um, this week I've spoken to a young fencer who's 16 and is the um, Open champion in Australia uh, wow. and narrowly missed selection for Rio, but he's really pushing toward Tokyo. Yep. And um, then on the weekend I'm going to interview a young woman who is currently has a um, possible campaign open. She's um, working to try to become Australia's first ever Indigenous Winter Olympian. What? Yeah, how cool is that? She's 16, uh, was an artistic gymnast but hurt her back and so had to uh, change fields and went into sort of tumbling and trampolining and then was recruited to um, give aerial skiing a go and so has been at it for a couple of years now and um, has sort of set her sights on trying to get there, um, trying to get to the Olympics. So really incredible story. And I just love finding these stories and talking to them. That is 
amazing. Yes. Like, so good, amazing. Like, incredible. Um, I've been spruiking both her uh, her crowdfunding campaign, but also um, the organisation, the, I think it's the Indigenous Alpine Sports Association. Um, yes. This is really great great program that takes groups of Indigenous kids for a week-long camp in the, at the snow. Great. Um, and they've got a really great um, auction, online auction at the moment. So I've been spending a bit of time trying to get people to bid on some of the cool stuff they have available. That is that is so... That is amazing. I, I, I don't... Just so you know, I wasn't laughing at the... Con- it's just the sheer dichotomy of you know Australia's indigenous peoples generally don't hang around snow and Al- alpine freestyled skiing yep no i know it's it's not something you sort of think about but at the same time it's also something that's so class based and there's so many access issues yeah. and um the idea of breaking down those barriers wasn't something I would have ever thought of, but as soon as I started speaking with the the founder of this organisation, she was just so incredible and inspiring, and um, the work she's... Like, there was a real logic to it, and it makes so much sense. Um, I, I also learnt a lot about Mount Kosciuszko. I've forgotten its Indigenous mm. name, but it's it's a really important and sacred cultural site. Um, makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and... So part of what they're doing is, you know, reintroducing or bringing the kids to this really, this sacred site. And they um, they try and have successful Indigenous adults, sort of younger mm-hmm. adults, come along to the camps too and spend some time with the kids and be in mentoring situation, uh, sort of to, to develop those mentoring relationships, um, but also... Um, so they can, uh, they also bring elders in as well. So they all sort of spend this week together and get to know each other. And I just think, what an incredible, it only costs them, I think. It, it doesn't cost them that much to run a camp. I forget what the actual number was. Um, but they, they do struggle for funding. And it's just such a great idea. And yeah, so that's just been this week. It's such Gosh. an incredible job that I get to have these conversations with people. Yeah, well, it saves the next question. What's the most interesting story you've heard? Because that's coming pretty close, surely. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty pretty far up there. Um, I interviewed a girl a few weeks ago, a young lady who I think is fourteen, um, mm. and she just won the Open Women's Championship at the Australian Indigenous Surfing Championships. What has she ever done with her life? <laughs> And uh, she was really interesting to talk to, a really cool kid. And I've spoken yeah. with um, people who've represented Australia in motocross and in BMX biking and all sorts of different sports. Um, I'm currently working on a story about fizzy, like physical culture for... Mm. Crinkling, but it's actually got me really inspired to try and go off and write a write a big magazine piece about this strange sport that is sort of concentrated in Australia and has this very unusual culture in that it's almost entirely uh, done by women and yeah. for women. And then there's all this politics associated with it. And it was f- founded in 1892 by Joe Peterson's uncle. Of course it was. I'm pretty sure in Tasmania. 
Yep. It's just this utterly bizarre and, you know, it has some really cool and, like, strengths, but also some kind of bizarre weaknesses um, and drawbacks around body image and that sort of thing. So I'm going to do a bit of more research into that and hopefully get a good piece out of it. Do you find, given it's 2016, the well, the year we're recording it is, that, like, it's much more acceptable in uh, journalism for so many ladies to be speaking about, writing about sport, doing those sorts of things? Because give it... Let's be fair, even 10 years ago, it was largely poo-pooed. Yeah, I I do think things have changed a little bit in the last little while. And I think part of that is because women's sport is getting so much more attention. Mm -hmm. Um, There's still a lot of challenges for women in sport. I still get to go back to the kitchen. You know, yeah, yeah, the usual, and you know, see what happened to Mel McLaughlin earlier this year. Oh, yes, honestly, barely a day goes by where there isn't some story. Um, but I think what's encouraging is that we're seeing a lot more diversity in sport coverage in Australia. It's happening mm. slowly, um, but I think there there are so many new outlets and outlets looking for to do things a little bit differently that we are moving beyond to this very football cricket focused sport coverage. Um, Mm. And I'm a really big believer in the importance of good sports writing because sport does occupy such an important place in our culture. And I think um, it sometimes confuses me that we have such robust critical conversations around different kinds of art forms. Um, but we don't have those robust critical conversations around sport as much. So I think it's really great that we've started to develop a little bit more of that. And I think that's where um, women do get a little bit more of a say. I think it's just part of it's also, you know, sport trails behind society in so many ways. So it's catching up to 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, yeah, I do think it's easier than it, than it has been, um, but it's, that doesn't make it easy. Yes. I, you're right that Australia particularly has a, a distinct focus on all things sport, don't we? I mean, for the longest time, you know, things like AFL and, and NRL, uh, cricket uh, have dominated at television, have dominated print, uh, you know, news and those sorts of things. Um, and it, it really has only been the last, look, you could probably say five years, but realistically maybe 12 to 18 months where women in sport have become or recognised, other than Olympic years, let's be fair, because we all like to jump up and down, say, oh, look, Kathy Freeman's amazing and Anna Mears is great, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, week to week, season to season, you you look at the deal that um, Australian Netball just signed with Channel Nine. That's that's pretty groundbreaking on a few levels, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, even just paying players a living full time wage, yeah. which is something that's been incredibly rare for female athletes in Australia to earn enough from their sport to be able to do it full time. Um, you know, we talk about pay disparity and so many other things but it's just Mm -hmm. 
so amplified in sport. Um, so I think the netball thing is really exciting. I think the um, Women's Big Bash League was so important. I think Cricket Australia yep. did so, so well with that um, and really deserve a lot of credit for taking it seriously, um, for the way they launched. I just think it was a really good competition and I'm really excited for this mm. year's. Um, and I think that they're seeing those results. They're seeing the young girls playing cricket now. So, yeah, I think it's it's been valuable for them. And that's the thing, yeah. like the economic incentive is there. It's just this culture that's holding us back. Stupid ass. Well, when the federal government have a list that is legislated of what sport has to be on free-to-air television and can't be on... There's no women's sport on that list. Yeah, I think there's... It's basically the Olympics and that's it. Yeah, abroad and, and even... And what's your take on this? Even Channel 7 are basically sidestepping that legislation by given that Rio this year, a bulk of, you know, all of the, the medal events are basically going to happen in Australia's morning, um, given where Brazil is in location to us, that they are going heavy, as you'd expect, on an internet delivery service, an app, so you can watch any event whenever it's on all the time, those sorts of things. But that will be a paid subscription app. Um. I think that's actually kind of smart on their behalf. Um, I know that I think the last Olympics, Foxtel, um, I did have Foxtel at that point, and mm-hmm. um, their coverage was great. They had eight channels. Yep. And um, a lot of, I think they had massive subscription boost as, as part of that. So I think it's um, it sucks that it won't be as accessible for people, um, but I guess it's still more accessible than it was when we had one free-to-air channel showing the sport um, and at least we'll be able to see a lot of women's sport in particular but um, also some of the more obscure sports. Um, but... Yeah, because beach volleyball's obscure. Or like, you know, fencing and... Three-day eventing. Handball. And people can actually watch what they want to watch and I think that's fantastic. Um, it, I hope that they make it really accessible for kids. I hope that they mm. figure out a deal with schools so that maybe, um, yeah, kids can get it for a, a cheaper deal or particularly kids in disadvantaged areas. But generally, I mean, I'll, I'll judge it based on what is available and free-to-air um, yep. and I'm sort of reserving judgment till then. But I do like the fact that the internet has made it easier to be a fan of a lot of sports. Like one of my favorite sports mm. is this thing called bouldering, which is indoor rock climbing, um, a particular kind of indoor rock climbing. And I love watching bouldering competitions. They're just, the athletes are so graceful and strong and it's fascinating and there's lots of strategy and you really see them thinking about how to sort it out. And I just really enjoy watching that and all of their um World Cup events are streamed live mm. on YouTube. <laughs> so I don't have to worry that, you know, Eurosport doesn't carry bouldering. Um, I, I can still watch it. Bouldering. Bouldering. I read a piece about it for SBS Zella recently. It's such a great sport. Well, I, I was going to ask, what's your favourite sporting team? Let's just set bouldering aside for a second. Um, still a Sydney Swans girl at heart. <laughs> so 
which is funny because yeah. I'm very critical of them a lot of the time. But, um, <laughs> you know, the team that I most want to see succeed and uh, most follow every week is, is the Sydney Swans. Is that a uh, historical, like the, your family followed the Swans, ergo Aaron followed the Swans? No, no, not at all. Um, I'm the only AFL fan in the family. Wow. Um, oh, I guess my brother watches it now, but certainly wasn't oh, much of a fan before I was. Mm. Um, yeah, I just fell, I studied sports history in my undergraduate degree. Mm. Um, and I weirdly fell in love with the history of the sport and sort of the way it came about. And because it, it's the oldest form of codified football in the world. Um, really? Yeah. The codification of AFL predates soccer, predates everything else. Um, and Melbourne Football Club is, if not the old, oldest, the second oldest football club in the world. So there's this. There aren't many things that Australia has the oldest thing at. So it's this no. really sort of major cultural institution that um, predates a lot of its international um, sort of com- co- competitors or you know things you'd compare it to. And so I found that just so deeply fascinating and read a really great book about the history of the early history of AFL by Jeffrey Blaney and that was kind of it. And so um, my undergraduate honours thesis was on the history of the sport in New South Wales before 1982 and the attempts to promote the game from external sources, so from the Victorian administrators in particular, to push the game into New South Wales. Mm. Um, And yeah, I guess I kind of went to my first game interested and, and really liking that history, but a couple of weeks later, I just, a couple of games later, I just sort of completely and utterly fell for it and was entirely obsessed for probably three or four years in this really all-consuming way um, that was not very healthy. Uh, but I was in my early 20s. You do stupid things. Um now I think I have a far more moderate love of the game and love of the, the team, um, but I still do love them a lot. That's, you're allowed to be passionate about things. That's totally cool. Yeah, yep. no, I like a bit of passion. Does your passion for the Swans cause any conflict in your house? <laughs> well, we've only played... Um, so Matt's a Richmond supporter, and we've only played Richmond once this year and Richmond won. Ooh, but ooh. yes, we always lose to Richmond in premiership years. We did in 2005 <laughs> and 2012. How is the logic on this? I know, it's ridiculous, but we always lose to Richmond in premiership years, so it doesn't burn so much. Uh, yet to see what it'll be like it, when the Swans beat Richmond, but I think mm. we got through the, the last one just fine. Look, I'm a Bombers supporter, so I can't talk. Um, you can set something straight for me, though. Yep. The move for the Swans North to Sydney yep. to establish that franchise, and because it wasn't a new club created like GWS, this was the move of South Melbourne, yep. wasn't it? That was yeah, yeah, reasonably, reasonably controversial within the supporter base. Were they... Ha- this may be your opinion, then. I'm sorry that this is taking an angle... Until the Swans won their, was it the 2005, 2005 Premiership? yeah. They hadn't won since they, at, at all, or since they'd since moved? Since 1933. So they yeah, moved it's a while in ago. 82, but it was um, 72 years. Was that 
do you think was that the forgiveness acceptance moment of the move? Or had that happened? Had everyone, the fans sort of come to peace with it a time before? Um, I think there was a little bit of every, like, I think there's people through that whole spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. The fact is the club didn't have many active members before they moved. I think it was about 1,500. They were in dire financial... Um, yeah, that's nothing compared to other clubs, isn't oh, it? Yeah, and compared to now, I think they're at 50,000. So Gosh. it's, you know, they were in a really rough situation, like, circumstance. Um and I think it was move or die. It was very controversial. Um, I think the VFL's transition to the AFL is still quite um, interesting to unpack. And I mm. don't think that's been done as fully as it, it will be in the future. Um, because we're not talking about the development of a national competition from scratch. We are talking about a Victorian competition taking, you know, taking itself na- national. And there's still these real yes. uh, legacies of, of the Victorianness of the AFL. Oh, many, many legacies, yeah. Yeah, lots and lots um, that have, and, you know, the way they play out in terms of equity for teams and all these different things are, can be really fascinating. Um, but I do think the Swans did a really good job in the early 2000s of trying to get that sort of unity and really welcome the Melbourne members or the old South Melbourne fans back into the fold. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing things like selling Melbourne-based memberships, uh, adding SMFC, so for South Melbourne Football Club, to the back of the Guernsey. um, And the, the grand final banner in 2005 was two cities, one team, together living the dream. Um, I think that was it. But it was definitely two cities, one team. Um, And I think that was a great symbolic gesture, but also, um, yeah, perhaps a a real watershed moment. Welcome back to One Girl, One Guy, No Cup, uh, the suddenly AFL podcast. (laughs) Um, I'm intrigued by AFL culture because you touched on just before, it is super tribal, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I don't like. I, I find it interesting. I hear stories um, of legend where you know, grandfather was a Carlton supporter, dad's a Carlton supporter, son will be a Carlton supporter, um, and sort of half jokingly, but half not. And if they decide to follow any other team, they're not staying under this roof. <laughs> We're already making those jokes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> anyone but Collingwood. <laughs> um, oh Hawthorne. please, yes. please not Hawthorne. I did see that happen on Twitter, though, If when your Matt would you know, announce, of course, that the, the bub was on the way and, you know, the conversation about that, that started to pop up and then there was talks of people offering to purchase um, child memberships for Collingwood and all that sort of stuff. I just thought it was hilarious because I can just imagine the reaction in your house. <laughs> it would be pretty funny. No, um, we, we've been joking that our baby's a bit of a troll baby because it doesn't like to cooperate for scans. Um, yes. So based on that, I probably will wind up going for some team that's just unacceptable. Either that or like not liking AFL at all and being really into, I don't know, something else like rugby union or something. I don't think it'll Boulder. be able to get away with not liking sport. Like I just don't think that's yes. possible at least in its DNA. Um, I mean, it might, and that might make weekends a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but Mum and Dad, shut up. Why do we always have to watch all this sport? 
um, yeah, but uh, as for who it goes for, you know, I I'm a little bit disappointed that the Swans don't have I haven't bid for a women's team because if Richmond gets one, that's a winning argument right there. Yeah, that's that's pretty straight yeah, up. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. Well, the ball's in your court, Sydney Swans. Sort it yeah, out. Yeah, I'm I'm going to have to blame them if I wind up with a Richmond supporting child. How how are you finding? If I can yeah. ask, how are you finding the pregnancy? This is your first. It isn't is it? Um, first and very unexpected. Um, surprise. Very much a surprise. <laughs> uh, given that I'd been told it would be a significant struggle for me to ever conceive, mm. and I was on the pill. Like, oh wow, Aaron. Yeah, that's a pretty crazy combination. <laughs> like, facts: the pill isn't one hundred percent guaranteed as a, as a method of contraception, but it's in the high ninety nines. Yeah. And then they basically said it was one in a thousand. Wow. So, um, yeah, really, really unlikely to happen, and but it did. So, uh, we've wow. Your child is the point oh one percent. Yep. So we've been uh, calling it the little bugger um, as a joke because <laughs> the little bugger just wanted to be here. Um, yep. Yeah, pregnancy has been – it's had its moments. It, I was, mm-hmm. I've been pretty sick. Um, lost good. over 10 kilos from the – Whoa. Which is – you know, most people go the other way during pregnancy. Um, yeah, I need to be I'm about 12 times weeks, pregnant. almost 20 weeks on Saturday. And mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Almost halfway. Um, yeah. And still vomiting. You know, I vomited last night. Oh, so dude. not as regularly as I was, but there's that. And so that's been quite draining physically and mentally. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, the rest of it's been pretty good, though. Like, mm-hmm. it's so much. There are so many things they don't tell you. And I've been both horrified by them and also very much enjoyed actually getting to warn my other friends that this is something they don't tell you. Um, like? Like, you can't have a hot bath. Why not? it raises your body temperature too much. So you've got to have warm oh. baths. And, you know, there's the list of foods you're not supposed to have. Soft serves on them. I can't even have a soft serve really? ice cream. Wow. You know, I was prepared for the wine and cheese, but not for the ice cream. I wouldn't have thought that. I mean, it's, it's not... That seems outrageous. Apparently, they have, like, listeria or something. I don't know. There's some reason you can't have soft serves. How's the kid going to get any kind of resistance to anything? Exactly. What do doctors know? (laughs) Um, Sorry, just for a sec. Can we pause for a sec? I just really need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Please. Okay, I'll be back in just a bit. How you going, mate? (laughs) I'm good, thanks, mate. I've I've been sent in to fill time. <laughs> no, Erin's stomach's not cooperating, so she's going to be a minute. So she sent me in as the uh, relief guest. That's a, well. Welcome back for the second time this week, Matt. Uh, thank you, thank you. I believe this might be unprecedented. Yeah, we we've managed to pull the unprecedented thing that we talked about at the end of your episode on Monday. By storming into Aaron's episode and taking over. Oh, look, I it, I actually predicted this about a minute before you walked over. I said, this would be great if Matt came over and grabbed the microphone because we could then edit this and put it at the end of Aaron's episode and she wouldn't even know what was said until then. <laughs> I 
actually said about me? Um, look at pretty much everything you'd expect. Okay. No surprises for you at this point. So, you know, the, we we talked about the drug running and mm. the um, well, there was the prostitution ring too. That's been a big money spinner yep. for us at the moment, and. God, Your intention thing? to run as vice president to oh, Hillary Clinton? Oh, we sold Sharapova her drugs. Yes, that was that was. The I love how she's appealing. The that gets that spins me out that she's appealing that. Well, we thought we had plausible deniability in the way we had it set up, but it turns out we didn't. So I don't know what she's going to do, but that's not my problem. I've got my money. I'm done. I'm happy. Yeah, job done, walk away, right? That's a police issue, I so. not a yeah, I not, not a WTF uh, issue. Any further on that at the moment? <laughs> What's the rest of your week looking like, dude? Well, we've got the we got the baby scan on um, tomorrow. Of course, yeah, yeah. So, round two, yeah, round two. Uh, hopefully, uh, we will find out the sex of the baby. Are you wanting to know, or are you just wanting to make sure that the doctors know everything's okay? Oh no, we we want to know. We're firmly of the opinion that that makes everything easier. Secret or not secret? Oh no, it'll be public. Okay, welcome to 2016. Yeah, kids. that's how it works. Yeah, that, that in fact, what will the, the only way that we'll know will be by watching your and Aaron's follow accounts because you'll set up the Twitter account and you guys will be the first two to follow it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's how it's done, yes. But um, I'm getting the tap on the shoulder, so I have to go now. Okay, farewell, Matt. <laughs> nice chatting to you again, dude. We'll speak soon. Thanks, mate. Hello. Hello. This is a... Uh... Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> that was a uh, very timely example of the perils of pregnancy. I was going to ask, what apart from the things that people don't tell you, what has been um, some of the surprises, pleasant or otherwise, for you around the changes physically to your body in, in becoming a, a woman carrying child? Um, I guess I'm surprised at how quickly things changed. Like, even before mm-hmm. I knew, um, I was so tired. Just, I'd get home from work and go to bed and sleep all the way through. Oh, yeah. um, and I just didn't realise how completely hole that was, that change. Mm. Um, and I generally have a pretty dodgy digestive system, but it's definitely kicked it up a notch since I've been pregnant. So that's been really mm, yeah. difficult. There would, um, there was a day kind of early on when I had to get off a train to vomit, then get on back on the next train, like that sort of thing made work really, really tough to begin with. Oh, I can imagine. Um, so I'm sort of on a bit of a campaign now um, about having a better cultural understanding of how full-on pregnancy can be um, and mm. maybe thinking about things like additional paid leave for pregnant women, um, which they don't Vomit currently leave. get. Um, and even just like having a more honest public conversation about the fact pregnancy isn't this thing that passively happens to, to women. It's very mm. active and very consuming. Yeah, you guys don't get a lot of saying what's going on, but it's certainly all happening to you. Yeah, and it's like you you are involved in like decision making and 
Um, mm. and, those and thinking about it and all that stuff is very active. Like it's not this thing that you just sort of, you know, you fall pregnant and then 40 weeks later you have a baby and that bit at the end is hard. It's, there's a lot throughout the whole process. Um, even just mm. monitoring, monitoring what you eat, what you do, thinking about um, going to appointments, all that. Like it's quite, yeah, it's quite an active process. Yep. The I, I know it's too early for you guys to be going yet. The um, the the prenatal, antenatal, whatever they call them nowadays, birthing classes. Um, I certainly found to be really fun in that they were a great bonding time with my wife. Yeah. Um, but also because I'm totally comfortable, cool with all of the weird body things and those sorts of things, and and they inevitably show you the fairly graphic vagina shot of naturally giving birth. Yep. And I just loved watching some of the other about-to-become-dads see that for the first time, and even some of the ladies, and their faces physically changed in shock at what they saw happen. Yeah, I'm kind of of the, I don't care what you do, just don't make me see it, school. Um, <laughs> so. Well, that, you're right. There is a trend that some ladies like to have a mirror so they can see yeah, it. Yeah, no, stuff. no. Um, don't need to know, don't need to see, don't need to, um, but I'm trying to take a really, um, non, just a really open approach to birth itself. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. you know, not have too strict an idea of, of how I want it to go because it can so easily change and I don't know what it's going to be like and I don't know how I'm going to deal with the pain and I don't know how long it's going to be yep. and there's just so many variables so you're not going to have a regimented birth plan no where... not going to have like a super detailed birth plan so no hour three we must play this music track no nothing like that I mean there will be a playlist <laughs> that that's probably the one thing I do care about is actually having my own yes. music um mm. but none of this like you know, n absolutely no intervention, that kind of thing. Like, whatever has to happen, yep. happens. I'll definitely have priorities, um, and Matt will know what the priorities are. But, you know, there was one option to go to a birth centre within the hospital that had an absolutely no epidural policy. And I'm just like, I just, I don't want to take that op option off the table. Like, I don't want it to be my first mm. plan, but you never know how things are going to go. Yeah, pain relief is always a controversial conversation, yeah, isn't it, when you talk about birth? There's so much judgment around... Pain management, sorry, it's not even relief, it's pain yeah, management. There's so much judgment, like, yeah. and breastfeeding and all this stuff, like, oh. I'm really lucky that I have, I'm sort of a member of a couple of kind of really progressive feminist mothers groups on Facebook. Um <laughs> Yes. That are awesome and really welcoming and inclusive and um, where Great. we can kind of have honest conversations without sort of judging each other. So those have been really, really great to, to have along the way. The funny thing is one of them was started by a friend of mine um, mm. when she fell pregnant and she intended it to be a space to be open about her pregnancy and talk with her friends, but it wasn't supposed to just be for pregnant women. Um so I had, was a member of that before I fell pregnant. Um, so it was great that I was sort of already a member of this online community that just happened to be very well suited to where I am at now. I would make sure when it comes to sorting out your musical playlist 
that not only obviously you know Matt knows where it is and how to access it, but that he has no ability to edit it because nothing would surprise me come just post birth arrival of said child that the Richmond theme song <laughs> starts playing. I am expecting one of its first outfits to be to be yellow and black. Um, <laughs> I do the, our very first baby gift, very first one we got was a little yes. swan scarf from a friend of mine. So well, that is lovely. It's uh, it's very first footy gear was was a um, was a footy scarf, and just after I found out, like when I was still in quite a bit of shock, um, I did go mm. to the to a baby shop and bought it a little thing that says my first football. So and it's Great. a little soft, cuddly footy. So um, it already has a, a fair bit of, of footy stuff waiting for it. <laughs> You wrote a really great piece about um, not coming to terms, but the recognition and realisation that you and your partner, who were in a reasonably new relationship, were about to become parents. Was that a um, was that kind of helping you close that section out and we're moving forward happy, or was that still, we're processing this stuff and this is where we're at with this these things? Look, I think it's going to still be a process all the way through. Like, I don't think, mm-hmm. um, I mean, we're, we're both really excited and happy about it. And I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've got, a, we tried to have the scan, our midway scan last week, but baby was quoted, um, the uh, sonographer who said literally the worst position she'd ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we couldn't get much of anything in, so um, we have to go back tomorrow and, you know, we're excited about seeing it and, um, yeah, you know, getting, getting that little glimpse, but it's still a process of sort of going, well, this relationship that was pretty new is got a lot more pressure on it now. Um, mm. Even though I think we're dealing with it pretty well. Um, yep. But also like just generally my life changed a lot. Like I'd made the decision to, to quit my full-time job with benefits and all paid maternity leave. Um, I actually quit it without something to go to um, Mm. with the intention of of focusing more on my writing when I was two weeks pregnant and didn't know. Oh, spectacular. (laughs) So not the best timing in the world. Um, So sort of within the space of, you know six months I'm in a new relationship baby on the way new job like it's all very was a ch- period of really rapid change um, and so I think there's still a, a bit of getting used to that but there was mm-hmm. also the fact that I had ex- not expected to be able to have children or at least for it to be very very difficult because um, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome and um, I have it quite badly like I have you know all of the symptoms all of you know when the the very first scan we went to um the woman said you got pregnant with ovaries like that wow Um, yeah so much less falling pregnant accidentally um so to go from that to it's happening and it's happening now was a really big mental leap so I don't think that piece is um is really closure. It was just sort of talking about the experience and how 
sometimes fertility and choice around pregnancy is a lot more complicated than we have the conversation about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wanted to say, well, here's my story, uh, but I'm still writing about it all all the way through. And, you know, whether or not that's just for my own edification or whether it's something I wind up um, publishing or doing something with later on, we'll see. But um, I'm definitely finding writing has been an important part of um, of my pregnancy so far. I, I, I'm not sure what you and Matt think about as far when it comes to, you know, uh, direction and faith and, and, you know, people directing their, having their lives directed and stuff. Someone is sending you guys a fairly clear message that you need to be parents. It definitely felt um, like it was meant to be. Like pretty much everyone through the whole process, every scan, everyone has heard the stories like, oh, this, you know, sometimes the universe just tells you. Um, yeah. And my parents are, are very religious, very faithful people um, and are certainly of, of that mentality. Um, yeah, so I'm... Yeah, I definitely feel like it's the right thing, even though it was so unexpected and, you know, hard in a lot of ways. But I think there there is no mm. right time. Um, oh, and if God there no. is a right time, you know, you have no guarantees it'll happen at that right time. And that was sort of what I mm. had always expected. I always kind of thought it would go the other way. So, um, yeah, I just, you kind of roll with it. And, um, mm. yeah, it's it's in spite of everything, it's a really happy time. I think we're both really generally pretty happy with both, you know, how things are going with the baby and, and with each other. And um, we've got a nice little life. I'm super stoked for both of you. I think it's just lovely. Um, as I said before, congratulations. This is spectacular. Thank you. So good. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty stoked for us too. <laughs> um, you know, I've, it was so unexpected. Like I'd, I'm sort of had been perpetually single and not unhappy that way. Like I'm mm. have always been, um, you know, I'd had a lot of angst about it in my twenties, but the last couple of years I've just, you know, been really chilled and really loved my life. I have great friends. And so, um, when we started spending time together and it was pretty clear that we had this, this connection, it was quite surprising, I think for both of us. Of all the people to look up with. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> oh, Twitter. There must be so many Twitter babies in the world. <laughs> I'm sure there is. And it's probably why there's not as many Twitter meetups as there should yes. be. Uh, but we are, uh, we're, we're planning our baby shower at the moment. Um, Great. And it will be in a pub because that's very on brand. Great. Uh, and I expect mm. there will be a lot of Twitter people there. It might become a de facto Twitter meetup. Yeah, if someone is not periscoping that, then they are letting There's the There's definitely going to be a hashtag. Um, <laughs> and I've already given Matt permission to live tweet the birth if he so desires. <laughs> Spectacular. This might be a moot question, Erin. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? I am going to write a book. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a human baby and a book baby. Nice. That's... Book baby about human baby? Uh, well, I'm working on a non-fiction um, collection about sport in Australia. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that that's the one that I get off the ground first. I'm 
you know, scraping together some stuff about Baby, but I'm not sure if that'll turn into a full-blown project. Um, I've also been working on a novel for a while, but I think that's a little bit further away. So um, mm. on top of the day-to-day writing, um, there's also the, the long-term projects. So that's kind of I'm hoping one of those will, uh, not hoping, working towards one of those becoming a thing this, this next year. Though I'm sure that there are a thousand mothers out there going, there's no way that'll happen. So <laughs> we'll see. The writing will take up valuable exactly. sleeping time. <laughs> I'm very lucky, though, in that I've got really wonderful parents um, who aren't too far mm. away. They're in between Picton and Camden. Um, Easy. And unfortunately, they live on a hill, so while their dam is very, very full, the house was okay this week. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, my mum is very keen to be quite involved, so um, she's already volunteered to do at least a day a week of childcare, so that'll give me right. a, a bit of space. It just had space yeah. and nothing else, and yeah. And even just to be able to sit down and write. Um, it's just reading and writing is so important to me and to sort of the way I function, and I don't do well if I don't get time to do both of them. Or just get, get your parents to do what, I can't even remember, this is how much I don't care about the story, um, but whatever uh, model, starlet, whatever, talks about, she you know, drops her kid off with the parents for the weekend, every <laughs> oh. weekend. Did you not see that story? No, I didn't. Oh, that's... It's some Aussie someone. That's incredible. Got, um, I, yes. Like, I just looked at that and went, what? And there was lots of people who said, oh, but, you know, it allows her to, to be herself and go to parties and those sorts of things. I went, uh, sh- look, yes, but what? It's not a puppy. I just was amazed. And I mean, I'm all for extended family being involved. And, you know, if, if they're the choices that work for their family, good on them. But I can't imagine wanting to, like, being okay with being away from them for that long. It's, yeah, yes. I, oh, look, I don't understand. But I'm old, so, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're we're kind of a grandma household here. Like, it's not unusual for us to go to bed at 8.30. <laughs> that is the problem. That's how this happened, Erin. <laughs> to go to sleep at 8.30. <laughs> a lucky story. Don't believe it for a second. Erin, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. For... This this wonderful chat. Please know the things you've said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been really, really lovely. I've really enjoyed it. Obviously, you are a tweeting person. Indeed. Are there other social accounts that you want people to be aware um, of? I do have a Facebook page for my writing, which is facebook.com slash Erin Riley AU. I very annoyingly, Erin Riley is a far more common name than you'd think. Um, so I never get the at Erin Riley, which bugs me. Except the person on Twitter only has like four tweets from like seven oh, years ago. I think they should give up the worst. me. Like I am clearly the best Erin Riley on Twitter. You should get the at Erin Riley. Um, there is a process you can go through, particularly if it's like effectively an abandoned account, to get... Twitter will review it, and they won't give it to you, but they'll release it to the public and let you know that it's so been I can released jump on first. It. I have uh, tried with no avail, but I think it's probably time to try again. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and I'm also, uh, my website is erinreilly.com.au, which I usually collect a bit of my writing there, and 
um, do the occasional blog post for things that are either half-formed thoughts or really, really long ones that don't belong elsewhere. So, <laughs> you know, if I have feels about, I think my most recent thing was a almost 3,000 worder about equalization policy in the AFL, which was just not something I was going to publish anywhere but on my blog. Yes. I have no idea what that is. Equalization policy? Uh, it's all about yeah. the way the AFL tries to keep the competition equal through salary caps, drafting, and other measures. And um, it's it's all about how ineffective it can be when the competition is still, still so Victorian-focused. So, yeah, that yep. was just one day I had some feelings about that and I, because I'd done so much <laughs> research on... A lot of it, yeah. Some days I just wind up writing like that. I'm looking forward to many more, possibly even more extraneously bizarre um, articles full of feels, just as the emotions start to get a little bit more tumultuous. I did cry on the bus yesterday, so... Oh, Aaron, I'm sorry. <laughs> the bus driver yelled at me. <laughs> Fuck him, I will chase... I will uh, hunt him down. A, he yelled at me for helping an old lady. So um, mm. I feel like that was so evil. It was like they wouldn't let the evil dude in a movie do it because it would make him too evil. Um, yeah, mm. so I'm definitely a little bit more emotional than I've been so far. So it'll be interesting. I'm sure there will be many, many feel-filled think pieces. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Aaron Riley AU is indeed human. <laughs>